From the highest point of Florida State's campus and the hottest room in Seminole Sports, this is Tomahawk Talk. Wherever you may be and however you may be listening to, we are streaming live on wvfs.fsu.edu and are also on air locally on 89.7 FM here in Tallahassee, Florida. If you'd like to call on the show, feel free to dial us up at 850-644-3871. And as always, if you miss this show or any other future show, you can always go back and listen to us on the Tomahawk Talk podcast. Available anywhere you get your podcast at. This is your host, Gabe Tisnes, and we have quite the show today on a Monday, Valentine's Day, but more importantly, post-Super Sunday. It is halfway through the semester and midterms are kind of ramping up, but we always have a little bit of time to talk about sports on our Monday nights here at V89 Sports. And William, we have quite a lot to talk about with Super Bowl, with baseball coming in, with I mean, just the wrap of the NFL season, it seems like a lot's happened in, in these last couple of months. So what do you, what do you, what do, what do you think uh, we should talk about first? Well, obviously, Super Sunday has to take precedent. And I actually do want to give a shout out to our man, Scott Clemens, the producer behind the glass, hosted an all-time Super Bowl party last night at his place. Had a lot of the V89 sports family over to, to watch the game. So it was a ton of fun uh, watching the game with all of you guys and uh a nice cap off to I think a really a really good football season and now as you said we turn over to some other stuff and also the day after the Super Bowl is one of the most interesting days in sports talk radio so it's also cool to be a part uh, yeah. here tonight with all you guys to, to break that down because what a game it was it's truly a privilege to be behind the mic I mean not everyone can get the chance to do this so definitely something that I, I treasure um, but we're not the only ones here we also have AJ LaCourcier on the show once again he's here to Maybe talk a little bit about what he uh, he gambled on. <laughs> last oh night. yeah, um, did some Super Bowl squares last night. Uh, won three hundred dollars. Lost a bunch of other bets though, so <laughs> probably evened out to about two hundred. Still beneficial profit. There you go. And um, why isn't today a holiday? Have we not come as a culture to agree that today should be a holiday? It needs to be brought up every year. Yes. Make Super Bowl Monday a thing. We need to get it on the books. 100%. And I am very disappointed in the city of Cincinnati for canceling their no, no school Monday after losing the Super Bowl. I mean, kind of spoiler right there. But, yeah, I, I was really proud of them for, you know, kind of being bold and, and brave and, and doing that. And then they just went ahead and, and took it out. So that, that's kind of a thumbs down for me on that. But. Jackson Bakich is once again on the show here to talk about Super Bowl Sunday. Um, Jackson, it's been a while since you've been on the show, man. What have you been up to? Just not a whole lot. Just been, you know, I'm just keeping on, keeping on, you know. I'm just real excited to be here tonight. Yes, talk sir. some Super Bowl Sunday magic. Talk some FSU hoops maybe if we get to it. Not that I really want to, <laughs> but um, it has to be done. And, you know, if, if I was feeling any better, I'd be dead. So I'm just really happy to be here. Once you hear that phrase, you know the show's ready to get kicked off. But before we get kicked off, also shout out to Scott on the booth, helping us make ourselves sound the best as we can. But, gentlemen, we do have to talk about Super Bowl Sunday. The Rams won 23-20 at home. Surprise, surprise. The spread, I believe, was around four. So Vegas seemed to nail it once again. They usually know what they're doing, yeah. that's for sure. Yeah, so... Um, yeah, I mean, main takeaway, everyone, I think, is that Joe Burrow is a national treasure, and we should not forget that. But <laughs> other than that, I do think this was a pretty entertaining Super Bowl. Um, it was, it wasn't as high scoring as we maybe expected, but it was close. So I think a lot of people enjoyed it. Um, 
you know, the Rams, they, they finally got it done. And they got to rejoice in the highways <laughs> after the game and, you know, probably enjoyed five hours of being in the car and, and traffic. But, William, how was, your, how was your Super Bowl Sunday? Just what were some of your main takeaways? Yeah, I thought overall it was a really good game as a fan to watch. I, I think pretty much all of America was going for America's team, which was the Cincinnati Bengals uh, in yesterday's game. So didn't quite get the out, that outcome that we wanted, but the Bengals I think are certainly here to stay. They'll be around. And for the Rams, finally climbing the mountaintop. We've been talking about it um, you know, for, for a couple weeks now, Sean McVay and and all the the really aggressive trades that they've made over the years, you know, but you know, playoff loss after playoff loss, they went to the Super Bowl uh, a couple years ago. So now they finally climb that final step, and, and now they're going to put rings on everybody's fingers. Matthew Stafford, there's no question, he was the man to finally put him over the top. I think maybe me, myself, and a couple others were wrong about him. Had a couple of bad weeks here and there during the regular season, but in the playoffs, boy, did he show really the kind of player that he is. And then one more final thing I'll add before we dive too deeper in. Um, you look at all the, the modern offenses that are kind of taking the league by storm. Sean McVay and Kyle Shanahan, I think, are, are two main ones. And the difference, I think, between those two, as we saw a couple weeks ago with the Niners, when Shanahan can't run the ball, he's in a really bad spot moving the football. And the Rams' run game, nothing going. They ran for under two yards of carry, and Stafford was still able to drop back 40 times and get it done with 23 points. So uh, that was a, a really nice job by McVay in that offense when they couldn't run the ball to still move the ball pretty consistently. Yeah, speaking of the running game, Cam Akers, former Seminole, and Jalen Ramsey got two Super Bowl rings of themselves, but obviously Cam Akers didn't do much. 1.6 yards per carry. Uh, he's not been his former self, and, and obviously the it seems like the Rams running game hasn't been as potent as it used to be with Todd Gurley. But overall, the Rams did get it done with 40 attempts from Matthew Stafford, three passing touchdowns, two interceptions. He was only sacked twice, so he had a pretty decent pocket for most of the night. Um, but halfway through the game, it seemed like the Rams were kind of losing their momentum. They got off to a pretty good uh, early start with a 13-3, uh, I think some somewhere in between the second quarter. Um, and the Bengals, you know, they, they went for it fourth and one early in the first quarter. That was, you know, not a, a big decision, I think, because the Rams got the ball first, so they, they punted, and then the Bengals had a chance to, you know, make something out of it. But at the same time, we saw the Bengals, and maybe I'm getting ahead of myself here, but they had three fourth and shorts, I believe, throughout the whole game, and they only converted one of them, obviously. <laughs> we know which one was the most important one, but um, the Rams got off to an early start. The Bengals kind of started climbing back into it, and then the Rams ultimately came away with the, with the victory. Um, Jackson, I mean, how do the Bengals, you know, kind of <laughs> feel about this game in particular? You know, we, we know how Cincinnati hasn't had the, the best of luck in the, I don't know, three, three decades. <laughs> so for them to get here, it's definitely a monumental achievement, especially in Joe Burrow's second season. But at the same time, getting so close to victory, it's got to be a little disappointing, hasn't it? Well, obviously, it's got to sting if you're a Bengals fan. Because you get so far and it seems like you're on a magical, you know, Disney ride, and all of a sudden it, it breaks down and you're stuck. But you know, I, I think the sane Bengals fans—I don't know how many there are. No offense to the city of Cincinnati, but I think the sane Cincinnati fans had to have realized that they were not the better team going into this game. You know, Cincinnati—they won the turnover battle. Uh, they had the momentum going into the second half because, to me. <clears throat> the Rams were leading at half, but it's, it didn't feel like they were winning. I don't know if y'all agree with, would agree with that. But there it, was it, that failed two-minute drive by Cincinnati correct. to end the half that kind of mm -hmm. killed things, but you're right. It was certainly there for the take. It, 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 it felt like the Rams' game to win 
and the Bengals, they put up a great fight. You know, I, I thought the game could have gotten ugly before the game even started. Yeah. Um, so if I'm a Bengals fan, I'm feeling optimistic. Um, Joey Burrow is the future. He's the franchise. Um, if anything, I'm just more worried about at this point of him being healthy. Yeah. And they need to, and we talked about this pre-show, how hard it is to build an offensive line. But if they want him to be around for, you know, seven, eight years at least, they have to put some guys in the trenches for him to be able to be successful. Because we talked about this uh, last night, that last play that the Bengals had, um, that fourth and one, Jamar Chase was wide open down the sideline after Jalen Ramsey fell. And had Joe Burrow had enough time, he would have been wide open, and that game could have been won right then and there. But, you know, like we say in all sports, it's a game of inches. and. Yeah. You know, who knows? Who knows what could have happened? But uh, the the Bengals should. If I'm a Bengals fan, you went to, um, you went to Arrowhead. You you beat the Chiefs in Arrowhead. Eighteen I'm, point comeback. Correct. Correct. I, I'm still being very optimistic about this team. So, uh, it stinks. It stings. But they'll be back. I mean, the Bengals probably got the worst team they could have had in the Super Bowl. I think, because the Rams. They shut down the running game for the most part. Uh, some, some may argue that you know Cincinnati could have ran the ball a little bit more, but in general, when you look at what Cincinnati, Cincinnati likes to do in the passing game, they like to go deep with Jamar Chase, and they went deep a couple times. And you know we'll, we'll talk about <laughs> the one time they they got a little lucky, but in general, the the Bengals were forced to look short most of the time. I think this was Joe Burrow's quickest release game that we've seen so far. Um, but ultimately, when it comes to the trenches, like you said, Jackson. Cincinnati struggled mightily you know their last 21 dropbacks for Joe Burrow there were six sacks in the second half that's not going to get it done in the second half especially if you come in losing um so it's it's definitely going to be bittersweet to to get to the big game and then lose it um but at the same time this team never felt to me like a Super Bowl winner um, as as ru- as rough as it may sound, as ha- as harsh as it may sound. No, I agree. Uh, it's just it didn't seem like they were the best team in the league. It seemed like they could beat anybody, which is remarkable for how Cincinnati has been the last couple of years. Um, but at the same time, it gave me the feeling of the Giants whenever they beat the Patriots, or or when the um, when the when the Packers went on their wild card run uh, in 2010. It seemed like a team that that could make a run, but. When it came to, to paper and, and, and coaching, they were never really the best. So credit to them for making it here, but obviously we saw the limitations. Um, AJ, what did you think about Aaron Donald? You know, he, he was definitely a menace in this game. He had two sacks. His presence was felt throughout the whole game, but especially as the, as the game winded down. Um, some may argue he kind of got robbed of the MVP, but obviously with Cooper Cup getting the, the game-winning touchdown, um, he he was obviously their, their main piece offensively when OBJ went down in the in the first half so any thoughts there yeah I would definitely argue that Aaron Donald deserved to be MVP he came up with the two biggest plays of the night I would argue and Cooper Cup did have two touchdowns he had 92 receiving yards but without Aaron Donald I don't think the Rams are winning that game um and of course OBJ going down was a huge huge uh part of the game I I totally full-heartedly believe that uh, it would not have been as close if OBJ stays out on the field. He was tearing them up because uh, I guess the attention that Cooper Cup gets on each play, but and it's deservedly so. But I, yeah, I, I do think Aaron Donald deserves uh, that MVP. I mean, they're double and triple teaming him all night, and then 
comes up with the two biggest plays in the two biggest spots. So, did you have him for for MVP uh, before the game? Uh, I did not. Um, <laughs> I I had Matthew Stafford, but okay. fair play. Um, yeah. yeah, Cooper Cup deserved it over Matthew Stafford. Uh, fair play to him. Eight receptions, ninety-two yards, two touchdowns. You can't argue with that, really. But yeah, I love I love Aaron Donald. I I really hope there isn't. Um, he he does not decide to retire. No. Um, there's some speculation. Um, it would be quite a way for him to go out. He's on top of the game. He might arguably be the best defensive tackle in NFL history. In, in my opinion, just look at the stats. It speaks for itself. Only eight seasons, but yeah. yeah Very he's, good player. He's, he's 30 years old. I, I have no idea how he, he's getting himself in this retirement talk. Obviously, it's been... Uh, a very impactful eight years he's given in, it all to the NFL in, in those eight years. But at the same time, for where he's at right now, he's on top of the world. And, and it would be kind of like Barry Sanders, you know, leaving uh, the game a little bit too early. Obviously, if you have to take care of mental health or even your physical health, go for it. But I think a lot of fans would definitely miss him, maybe not in the NFC West uh, or even in the NFC. But I do agree that Aaron Donald played a huge part in the game and, and it's hard to say that he deserved it over Cooper Cup because of what Cooper Cup has meant for this team, obviously winning the Triple Crown. He even got MVP votes and when it came to the, the, the regular season MVP. It's not something very common for receivers these days. Um, but he became the only other player in NFL history with Jerry Rice winning the Triple Crown, the MVP for the Super Bowl, and the Offensive Player of the Year. He did it in one season. In one season. It's that took Jerry Rice's entire career. Exactly. It's, it's, it's astonishing. Uh, so Cooper Cup has definitely cemented his legacy as well, not just when it comes to the franchise uh, down in L.A., but also in the NFL history. Um, William, I mean, this game, it, it, did it live up to your expectations in general? or? Um, that That's a hard question to answer. I think it went as a lot of people expected. I think the Rams came into that game. They wanted to throw the ball around a lot. Get it, get it, a nice quick early lead. They ended up not really pulling away, kind of until that that sequence in the second half. And then once you get that lead, pin your ears back and get after the passer. And they did that to the tune of seven quarterback sacks against Joe Burrow, which is to me pretty much the name of the game. Mm-hmm. Um, we we you mentioned it earlier, the, the running the ball. I thought against really one of the best rushing defenses in the NFL all season in the Rams. Joe Mixon, the running back, 15 carries over 70 yards. That's about five yards a carry. So they were moving the ball, um, and, and it's not like they were down two possessions. They could afford to keep running it and not, not just allow the Rams to just blitz on the pass rush. Um, so that was a thing that was a little bit disappointing to me. I, I thought all season, and especially in that game against the Chiefs, that the, the Bengals have done such a good job all year staying on brand. It seemed like a little bit in the second half they got off their game, and, and ultimately it cost them. I, I thought that was... Uh, a, a pretty disappointing part. And then another thing that you brought up, um, for the Rams forcing the Bengals to go short on the passing. Uh, the Rams, they have such great team speed, especially on the defensive side of the ball. Um, yes, Jamar Chase did get his, um, you know, the, the other two receivers, Higgins and um, and Boyd, you know, got, got their targets as well. But really forcing them to go short in the flats and, and chasing down and tackling them. There was all kinds of third and longs, and, and then that rolls into the sacks that you had as well. So, um, I thought the Rams definitely they executed exactly what they wanted to do to a T. Yeah, the the Rams won the, the time of possession somehow 30, 30 minutes to twenty nine minutes. Even though they had way less rushing yards, they 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 were more efficient. I think that's that's what it, it came down to. Obviously with the sacks as well, but overall I think Sean McVay outcoached Zach Taylor, and there were some interesting decisions uh, when it came to you know 
I mean, how do you leave Cooper Cup on Eli Apple? I think that's that's one of my main takeaways as well. Is obviously with OBJ going down, you have a little bit more focus on on Cooper Cup, but it didn't seem like uh, when the game was on the line, like the Bengals knew that because they just kept repeatedly going down to him uh, in their in their final drive. So I I struggled to kind of come up with an excuse for that obviously Cooper Cub there's not much he can do like we said we, he's he was performing at an all-time level but that was my 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 one grief with the Bengals that they could have easily done but there were a couple other grievances from from fans and and even from both the teams with the refereeing with uh, the first call being the offensive pass interference that was not called by T Higgins on T Higgins against Jalen Ramsey in the in the third quarter opening up Jackson I think this is a pretty obvious no call, isn't it? You're talking about um, the last few. No, the, the the first the first no call with a 75 yard bomb. The face mask. Oh, on correct. Yeah. Come out of the second correct half. no call. You said. Yeah. Or no, no, no. no. Like it's it's a pretty obvious. Call, no yeah, call. it yeah. definitely should have been a it call. Should have yes. called it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, you know, as a not that I'm a expert on the rules, and I mean obviously it 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 is a penalty. But if you're a referee, I think they are biased to be looking for defensive penalties. And obviously it should have been called because it was egregious. But in real time, when I first saw it, my first instinct was not face mask. So um, it looked like he just fell down. And I, I obviously referees, we should hold them to a high standard and that call should have been made. But I think the reason it wasn't called is because there's that bias to be looking for defensive penalties. So mm. uh I think that's what caused it. And I think this Super Bowl truly showed the Rams were far and away the better team. Because like I said earlier, they lost the turnover battle. Uh, seven points were on the board early on for the Bengals. That shouldn't have happened. And I think between that second and probably till the beginning of the fourth quarter, the Bengals were outplaying them. Yeah. And the Rams still came away with a win. So yeah. – uh, Kudos to them. What a great season for them and the Rams. They they went through a lot of adverse adversity. You know, uh, Matthew Stafford's th- throwing picks to to lose games midway through the season. Everybody thought their season was toast, and but truly the the best team won last night. That's for sure. And you know, Matthew Stafford's story it's it's quite remarkable, and everyone wants to love on him right now because you know he's on top of the world and 13 years in Detroit. You know that asylum. Of course, everyone wants to you know give him praise now, but. There were a lot of times throughout the season where, you know, William, Luke, myself, and, and the rest of the crew here, we were, you know, scratching ourselves, our heads with, you know, what, what's going on with this guy? He's throwing pick sixes left and right. He's, he's not looking as sharp as we expected him to, and he's got a lot of weapons, so there's a lot of expectations coming into the season. But in this postseason, he delivered with three comeback drives in the fourth quarter to win all three games. Obviously, there were three, there were field goal games, all three of them. Um, but at the end of the day, he, he got it done. People have said a lot of things about, you know, maybe Jared Goff could have done the same thing. But at this point, I think we have to give him the credit that is due. And, you know, it's it's interesting with how the game was looking. Like you said, Jackson, uh, in the third quarter, you know, he threw two picks. Um, I think one of them was a little bit on the receiver. But then the other one, it was a third and 14. It's basically a punt. But once again, you also don't want to see that on the stat line. Matthew Stafford is now in the conversation for the Hall of Fame, which, you know, we already talked about Aaron Donald being in the conversation for best defensive player of all time, or I, my bad, <laughs> best defensive tackle of all time. So 
I don't know which which conversation I'm, I'm more eager to to entertain at this point. AJ. Yeah, I'm I'm definitely pro Stafford on this. Um, he is known he is known to lead his terrible teams in Detroit on fourth quarter comeback wins. I mean, some of it his, his fault. He's a gunslinger throwing early interceptions, but he always brings it back, and you got to respect that about him now. He brought it back all three playoff games. Never, I never doubted him. I know a lot of people doubted him when Tom Brady comes roaring back, but yeah, I I love I love Matthew Stafford's career. Um, what he's been through on the field, off the field. Um, great guy. Um, I definitely deserve. I definitely think he deserves to be in Canton, uh, especially mm. with the Super Bowl win. And who knows, he might win more. The NFC is looking not the best right now compared to the AFC with all those young gun gunslingers that they have. So, um, yeah, I, I could, I potentially see Stafford winning a couple more in LA. A couple more Super Bowls. Why not? Why not? I think that that's to me is really where his <laughs> hall of fame candidacy lies on is if, if he can get another championship or two, I understand the stats, a ton of great years in Detroit with the, the 4,500 and even a couple of 5,000 yard seasons. Um, but but to me, I just this was his one successful season as far as the ultimate goal of an NFL team, which is to win a championship. And I too too many losing seasons for me to to, to just put him in the Hall of Fame after after one Super Bowl victory after you know all the stats that he has. But but as AJ mentioned, I think the NFC is is so wide open, and the Rams I think are so clearly the team to beat that. I. I would put him in. I would book him to host the NFC, NFC Championship game next year. So he's going to get a chance at a couple more, most likely. Yeah, he's he's sitting at 34 years of age, Jackson. I mean, is it possible for him to keep going at it with the Rams and maybe get a couple more Super Bowls and retire ahead of Aaron Rodgers, even? Well, I don't know uh, Matthew Stafford's diet if it's like Tom Brady's, <laughs> but if Tom Brady can, you know, play till he's 74, then um, I think Matthew Stafford's probably got five or six more years in him. Um, and maybe he gets one or two, you know, who knows. But, I mean, real quick, William, I, I just have a question. So what about someone like Dan Marino, who never won a title at all? To How me, would you compare them? To me, Dan Marino is obviously a Hall of Famer because he was a transcendent player and pretty much changed the NFL. He, threw, he was the first 5,000-yard passing season in just his second year in the league. He was pretty much that defining guy that, that changed the NFL into the game that we know today. Yeah, I would agree Stafford with that. certainly would not be that. So that, that would be my, you know, Marino over... Stafford, even with the the winning in the, in the postseason, particularly not being there. Okay, because I, I, I agree with you on both of those. Um, I was just curious how you you know navigate through that, whether you value championships that much. So that's what I was curious about. Here's a better question, and maybe this is a little toxic of me, but where do you put Matthew Stafford in the Hall of Fame line of Eli Manning versus him? I thought about him as well. Yeah, because they they kind of have similar careers, not necessarily known for their great. Uh, regular season play. I mean, Eli Manning was great. It's not like you know he's a he's a bad quarterback, but you know his legendary status comes from beating Brady twice in the right. Super Bowl, and uh, he was a franchise quarterback for a long time. So you know that kind of puts him in that sphere. But uh, here's the thing, Matthew Stafford. I, I I think if Matthew Stafford gets one more, he's solidified. I think I he's agree. borderline right now. Yeah. I so. think most people would agree with that. I will say Matthew Stafford did go to Tampa and beat Tom Brady. So, you know, I don't think it's set in, in stone right now, but... <laughs> Ended his career. I mean, that's a legitimate thing to yeah. bring up, yeah. Um, yeah, I think something else to bring up is obviously OBJ getting hurt. I mean, this guy, 
got traded halfway through the season, and somehow he ended up as a Super Bowl champion. doesn't happen very often. Um, and it, it seemed like the NFL or, or the NFL gods have been against OBJ for a little bit. So it's kind of nice to see him, you know, finish uh, with a ring, at least one in his career. We don't know what's going to happen in the future, but he did get hurt with a torn ACL. So it's going to be an interesting recovery, Jackson. I, I think the biggest loser of this entire NFL season, not necessarily a disappointment, but because we'll get to that later, but the biggest loser of this entire NFL season has to be Baker Mayfield. Just think about it. Yeah, OBJ leaves, has a very successful half of the season. Joe, he, he, Joe Burrow's winning the division, his division, in his second year in the league. And, you know, it's not like the Browns have a bad squad. I mean, they have a pretty decent offensive output, uh, and he couldn't get it done with OBJ. And, I mean, it's got to be it's got to be Baker Mayfield. He's had such high expectations, and he just hasn't lived up to it. And uh, this him sitting on the couch this postseason, I think he had to have been hurting the most out of everybody. So that's what I think. Uh, this this kind of brings up a topic that I was thinking about last night after the Rams won too. Thinking about the AFC North, do the Bengals even get out of the NFC North atop next year? AFC. I mean, AFC. My bad. AFC North. Yeah, I was uh, thinking about that after the game because um, Pittsburgh's going to be re- reloading. If they get a if they get a quarterback, it's for sure um, interesting to see what they're going to be doing. Baker is going to be getting healthy. He's going to be given. This is his do or die year, in my opinion. Lamar Jackson's going to be back healthy. It's going to be interesting for the AFC North next year. And I don't know if the Bengals get out. If they, if they don't really address this offensive line problem, I see it being pretty troublesome. Yeah, I think if Lamar Jackson had stayed healthy, there was a pretty good chance that the Ravens end up winning that division. And who knows with the Bengals having to go on the road from the very beginning and as a lower seed where they would end up. I think Pittsburgh, unless they get a Russell Wilson or some type, or is going to be in, in a remission, and then the Browns will kind of see with, with Baker not having that, that shoulder injury if he can distribute like he did a couple of seasons ago. So the Bengals in a really tough division right now in one of the toughest conferences, like the strongest we've seen the AFC in a really long time. That happens all the time when, when a quarterback like Burrow makes a Super Bowl in his second year. Oh, he'll be back you know, plenty more yeah. times. That is never a guarantee in this league. Yeah. So best division in the AFC. Are we going with the North? It's between the North and the West. If Aaron Rodgers goes to a Denver, it's definitely got to be the West. But and I would say yeah. even without that, I would maybe go AFC West. So you have this. Sorry, you have the Broncos, the Raiders. The Raiders would bring in Derek Carr back. You've got the Chargers with Herbert, and then obviously the Chiefs being the juggernaut that they are. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I forgot about the Chiefs being the West. So that I think they're they're pretty comparable. I. I, I We'll see, because I, the Bengals were such a Cinderella story, like you said. Yeah. There's no guarantee that they'll even win the division next year. So, um, who knows? But I, I have so much faith in Joe Burrow right now. Um, as long as he stays healthy, I, I see the Bengals at least making the playoffs. I don't know about winning the division, but they should make the playoffs next year. I, I would agree, especially with seven seeds. Yeah, they'll be back. Yeah, for sure. And you know, Zach Taylor came into the game. 16 and 32 and one as a head coach. I I don't recall many coaches being this close to winning their their first Super Bowl with a losing record like that. It, it's just an incredible story. Like that, that's like a 33 percent winning percentage. Not even close to yeah. 500. Yeah, that that also. I was also thinking about that last night. How many? If the Bengals don't make the playoffs, how many seasons does Zach Taylor actually have there? 
if, if he, he was doesn't getting have, fired if yeah they if he doesn't have three. a stellar season next year what happens i mean i'm sure a super bowl buys him at least two years right but with the with this day and age with coaching who knows well if, if ed o can't get two years then you know who knows but dougie p got what two years as well after, uh, and that was an all-time collapse in Philadelphia, yeah. so that would be Cincinnati would have to fall far away to kind of match that. But. Which we know they can. And I was commending Cincinnati last week going into the Super Bowl for hanging on to Taylor as long as they did. You know, two years really bad, two and fourteen, and then I think three twelve and one or something the year after that or something along those lines. But you stick with it. We've seen in Miami, and obviously there's some other stuff letting a guy like Flores go after back-to-back winning seasons. And maybe, you know, guys like Joe Judge may not be the answer, but recycling coaches after two years may not be the right move. And I think t- keeping Zach Taylor in year three proves that that might be the right thing to do. <laughs> Florida. <laughs> <laughs> but, no, I, I totally agree. If you do not have stability, um, especially in a franchise that is dysfunctional, that just it, – it just – it's a positive reaction chain – of dysfunction when you keep um, firing coaches. You, if you don't give them the opportunity to build something, then you're never going to build anything at all. Yeah, and we'll have to see with Joe Burrow. He seemed like he got knocked pretty hard uh, at the end of the game, so we wish him a speedy recovery. Hopefully nothing that re-aggravated that horrible injury he had to, to end his season last year. Um, but obviously, we'll, we'll, we'll get more into the NFL talk, kind of wrap up the season, talk about the NFL honors. We, we haven't gotten to talk about who won MVP and all that. So, um, yeah, we'll get into that after Seminole segment. You've been listening to WFS Tallahassee, the voice of Florida State. And happy Valentine's Day or Super Bowl Recovery Day. Whichever one you are celebrating today, Tallahassee, I am Kylie Brennan here for your Seminole segment. Over at the Joanne Graff Classic, the Florida State softball team went undefeated with decisive wins over Loyola, Kennesaw State, and Mercer including an 11-0 run rule win over the Owls. Harding's running catch in the top of the third against Loyola with an impressive throw to Cheryl for a double play made SportsCenter's top 10 coming in at number 9. Many more exciting things to come from these ladies this year. The number 6 team in the nation will take on the South Alabama Jaguars this Wednesday, February 16th at 2 p.m. And just a few blocks away from Joanne Graff Field, the FSU men's tennis team battled for a singles win against the UCF Knights. On court one, Poroy delivered a 6-3-6-2 win over the number 50 ranked singles player, according to the ITA. UCF took a lead, but not for long as Petrovich brought things back to a tie at 2-2 for the Seminoles with a strong showing on court three. The Knights jumped back into the lead with a win on court four. However, Yusuf Raihane even evened things up again after trailing on his first set and clutching the last two. It all boiled down to court six with Josh Deuce Carpenchief's intense rally taking his match to 6-6-4 and 6-0, ultimately giving the Seminoles a win. Their next match is on the road September 19th against Mississippi State. All right, I think that just about wraps it up for me. Stay classy, Tallahassee. Now back to Gabe and William. And we are back for the second half of Tomahawk Talk. Thank you so much for tuning in. Once again, this is your host, Gabe Tissonis, with William Haynes, Jackson Bakich, and A.J. LaCourcier. We're here to wrap up the NFL season. It's been quite the ride here. Um, and, you know, we somehow haven't talked about who won MVP, William. How about that? Oh, man, I just, I think it... Robbery is a word that that could be used. I just, 
not only did Brady play a game and a half more than Rodgers, but he Brady led in passing yards, completions, touchdowns. Um, I just every 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 box that you would check, Tom Brady did, and I just I'm really dumbfounded. It's it's really difficult to even make any kind of sense of it, if I'm being honest. And you know. I, I kind of agree with you. I, I love looking at the stats of the end of the season and being very objective about it. But at the same time, it's hard to argue against 37-4. and four. I mean, 69% completion percentage, 112 passer rating. That's Aaron Rodgers' third highest passer rating ever. And obviously, getting the number one seat is what the voters voted for. Um, I mean, I, I struggle with this. I really do because we've seen Aaron Rodgers in the past, and he's looked a little bit better. Obviously, last year, I think everyone can agree was a better year in general, but it's hard for me to say Brady deserved it because he didn't get the number one seed, and that's been something that the voters have been pretty consistent about. So uh, it's not what I would probably put as the number one thing I'm looking at, but at least I got to give it to the voters. They're being consistent in that sense. Jackson? Do you all think that the NFL doesn't like to, kind of similar to LeBron in the NBA, the NFL does not like to give the MVP to the best player every year. Because I, I think we would all agree, if you started your draft, if you had a, a brand new NBA draft every year for one season, you'd probably pick LeBron James. You should. You should. So I think starting, you know, I'd say starting before this past season. If you, you had to pick, chosen Brady? You probably would have chosen Brady. I mean, he's just, he's just a winner. And he might not be the the most physically gifted quarterback, but he's a winner, you know. So done. he he gets the job done, and you can't argue with that. So I I think that may have something to do with kind of that narrative. But sorry, go ahead, AJ. But we did see a little bit of Tom Brady's deficiencies once Antonio Brown and um, Chris Godwin got hurt. So I I I do think Brady had a lot more weapons than. Aaron Rodgers and Aaron Rodgers has made do with what he's been given in Green Bay for a long time now. Um, he does have Devontae Adams, who is a superstar wide receiver in my opinion, um, but he doesn't really have much after that. And I would also I would also think that the Bucks have a better running game. Um, they have a better defense, better special teams as we see now. Um, so uh, I I I. I could go either way on this MVP. I, I wasn't mad at the decision that Aaron Rodgers won MVP. Um, second straight season, especially after the offseason he had, um, with uh, even knowing if he's going to be a Packer this year. And after the first game, after Gabe's uh, Saints tear them up, we're like, oh, no, this is the end of Rodgers and Green Bay. And then he goes out and gets the first seed in the NFC. So, I, I, I think it's deserving. Uh, I don't see too much robbery there. I, Will does point out a uh, good thing about the stats, but, yeah, I, I don't see too much of a problem with giving Aaron Rodgers that. And it's a regular season award, right? Yeah. It, it has nothing to do with, you know, how many games are played in the postseason. So yeah. uh, I just want to kind of rebut that point. Sorry, go ahead, William. No. I, I, think, I think Jackson and AJ pointed out a couple really important things. Number one, it is most valuable player versus best player in the league certainly there there's a differentiation between those two and also I think it's pretty clear and obvious that the Packers are much more dependent on Aaron Rodgers for their success than the Bucks were dependent on Tom Brady for their success as, as AJ mentioned with the defense with the running game with Fournette and the the host of, of targets with Gronk and Mike Evans and Godwin for most of the season so 
Uh, I, I think that's ultimately what it came down to. National perception and national awards, of course, is always a big deal. Um, I am disappointed. I, I think it's the wrong call, but I, I do understand the logic as to where the voters' heads were at and, and Rodgers getting a second straight MVP and nothing really to show for it as far as postseason <laughs> success. And, and, you know, I was wrong at the start of the season, like AJ was pointing out. I, I was calling the Packers frauds, you know, losing to the Saints the way they did. And, you know, after what they did against the Bucks, I, I'm, I've been so done with them. I, I don't ever want to see them again in the postseason as a number one seed. And I was right in the end. They lost to the 49ers, and obviously this is a regular season award. But once again, I don't get it. I, I don't get what they're doing up in Green Bay. It doesn't seem like it's working out. I'll give credit to Aaron Rodgers. Four MVPs in, in, in an NFL career, that's remarkable. Only Payne has more. Um, but it's just it's crazy to think that he's only won one Super Bowl. And, you know, we talked about Matthew Stafford. He's tied with Matthew Stafford. He's tied with Joe Flacco. Like, I mean, it's just crazy to me, AJ. Springs up also interesting point that I always think about. Will we ever get a... NFL MVP that's not a quarterback again I mean it's kind of crazy to think about I mean Cooper Cup arguably just had the best year for a receiver in NFL history and we we aren't even really talking about him I know he got a couple MVP MVP votes but I I, 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 I can't see another player other than a quarterback winning NFL MVP again just just because of how offensive based the league is and I, I think I think you should throw Aaron Donald in there almost every year as well but I, I just don't see it happening anytime soon. This is pretty heavy in hypotheticals but just like play it out let's say that the Packers don't go 13-3 and they don't get the one seed Aaron Rodgers has his great season fine but maybe not up to the level that he did this year and maybe Derrick Henry stays healthy runs for over 2,000 yards again and the Titans are in the one seed I think a circumstance like that, you could still get a non-quarterback, but all the stars have to align, kind of like Adrian Peterson in 2012. Yeah. It's it's kind of once in a once in a decade or two kind of thing. And you know, running backs have had better seasons than what Adrian Peterson had, arguably. Yeah. With, with Derrick Henry last year and, and Christian McCaffrey, and you can even throw Todd Gurley in that conversation. We know how how valuable Kamara is to the Saints. Uh, so we've seen running backs have those crazy type of seasons, and they're not getting in that conversation as they should. Cooper Cup, triple crown winner, maybe not the best receiver uh, season in, in NFL history just because of what the NFL is today, but arguably up there. Um, and obviously TJ Watt tying the sack record with Michael Strahan, obviously with one more extra game. Um, but Aaron Donald's been a phenomenal player for the last couple of years, and he's not gone close. So it's definitely becoming a quarterback award, and it's kind of sad to see because, you know, there's a lot of other great players outside of – who's under center, but Mike Revel for the Tennessee Titans won his coach, his first coach of the year after guiding the Tennessee Titans to the number one seed for the first time since 2008. It's deserved, I would say. Um, once again, it's a regular season award, and, you know, the Titans won and done in the playoffs, so it's, it's interesting to think about the other coaches who were running. You know, we had, um, what's the guy in, Buff in Buffalo? Um, Sean McDermott. Yeah, he was up there for me. Um, even what Kyle Shanahan was doing with the 49ers and, and, and all their injuries. I mean, they're, Bill Belichick should always be in contention, I think. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, even um, LaFleur with, with the Packers getting the number one seed. Was this the right pick for you guys, or was somebody probably deserve a little bit more credit? I think uh, I'm a big fan of what Vrabel has been able to build down in Tennessee. I think there there might be something to a team like the Titans that going into the year you're not – 
expecting to go. I think what they won 13 games and they got the one seed in the AFC, which, you know, it's like, how the heck did they do that when you look at all the powerhouses that are in that conference? So I think that that's maybe the number one thing. And of course, it gets clouded when you get bounced in the first round. I think Tannehill has a part to play in that. But uh, Vrabel's certainly up there. I think he's a great coach, but you, you brought up a couple of other ones that were certainly deserving as well. Is it AJ? I think we. I think we have to, I would personally go McVay. I mean, look what he did in the offseason and in the middle of, se- middle of the season. He trades half his draft capital away to get Matthew Stafford in a trade, which turned out great. Uh, easy to say now after they win the Super Bowl, too. Uh, he gets OBJ in the middle of the season. He trades for Von Miller in the middle of the season. Um, I, I, I give so much credit to Sean McVay. He really put his name on the line with all these big trades, knowing that if it doesn't work out, the... The future looks bleak, um, but it worked out. So it's hard. To, it's hard to say now, especially since it's almost a regular season award. But you can always, I think you can almost always throw McVay in there now, kind of like Belichick, in my opinion, just because of what he's brought to the game. I would have to disagree with McVay, only because once again it's a regular season award, and I know you said kind of you know, the hindsight's twenty twenty, but at the same time you said you know, he traded for these um, these players and such, but. He's not the GM, so I mean that you can say that he was the the designer. I don't know whether he was or not, but officially that has to go to the GM and his his pursuits. And then you know, they didn't get the one seed, and they had a lot of talent. So then it comes to the, kind of the question of how much it's kind of like the Brady Belichick debate. How much does how much credit does the coach get compared to the players? You know how, how well do, do coaches do? Like I remember. Um, some people were saying Brian Flores a couple years ago uh, should have gotten the award because he did what he did with what he had. So it, it comes to, you know, if you have a really great team and you do, you know, decently well in the regular season, then you're probably not getting the nod. But if you do much better than expectations, you can say that that is the, the, coach's, or that is the coach's credit. So I probably would have to go with Rabel as well just because – you know, Derrick Henry goes down through the season, or, you know, probably, what, a third of the way through the season? That yeah, about I, right? I mean, yeah, he missed a ton of games. So um, they were still able to nab the one seed, and, you know, they had a really good season in the regular season. And also I, I do kind of think Vrabel has kind of built up that credit in the last couple of years. He's Like you said, he's really built something really impressive. So – Definitely, I, I agree with the Vrabel decision. The Titans to have done more with less than anyone in the NFL, and I think that's one of the greatest measures we have of, of successful coaching. Mm-hmm. So I think that ultimately plays a big part in that. Yeah, Ryan Tannehill's the quarterback. Exactly. <laughs> so. And as you said, they played most of their season without Derek. Correct. They're running with their backup practice squad running backs and still going 13-3 in the number one seed in the, one of the toughest conferences we've seen in a long time. And you and I have, have talked about this you know, before the show, and I believe I've talked to some of y'all about this as well, but um, if I was a GM, obviously I'm not, because no offense to y'all, I wouldn't be here right now. But um, <laughs> if I was a GM, I I'm not interested in paying big money for for running backs. Uh, there are plenty of rookie uh, running backs like Clyde's Edwards Hilaire, who you know put out great great numbers, and they're on rookie contracts. And I Derrick Henry might be an exception because he might be a once in a generation running back. And you have to take a chance on him, but you know if it's not Derrick Henry, then I just don't see the reason in putting shelling out big money for running backs. Maybe some of y'all disagree. I don't know. Well, I'm just gonna 
I was just thinking about throwing it back to Mike Vrabel being the head coach. He did lose to the Jets and the Texans this year, too. So, I mean, given the coach of the year losing to the Jets and the Texans also kind of clouds it for me, but I, I could see. And that's I, fair. I like Jackson's point for sure. Yeah, that's and great I, point. I agree as well with you guys. Uh, I mean, it's just for me the AFC South. Uh, it's kind of like yeah. what, what the Packers have done with, with the, the NFC North. It's, it's a weak division, and when you pile up those wins against those teams and then you don't win in the playoffs – Obviously, it's a regular season award, but to me, you can kind of see it ahead of the curve when it comes to who's the better coach. Um, and, you know, they had a lot of injuries. You know, Julio Jones wasn't really available as we're normally accustomed to. Uh, and even A.J. Brown, he had a good season, but uh, I think maybe we expected a little bit more from him. So for able to do what he did, getting the number one seed in this AFC, it's quite remarkable. Kind of wrapping up that side of the, the, the equation, though. I mean, what what were some of your biggest letdowns and, and, and you know surprises of this season? There there were a lot of twists and turns. Um, for me, obviously, with the Saints, it was quite the ride. You know, starting off with that banger against Green Bay, and then Jameis Winston almost beating Tom Brady at home, and then getting hurt, and then Taysom Hill and you know Champagne doing the most. I think he also maybe deserved a little bit of of love at the end of the season, but obviously didn't get get in the playoffs, so that cost him a lot. Um, AJ. Yeah, some end of the season notes I have. Um I know Jax probably agrees. What a what a wild year for the Dolphins as we watch the Dolphins a lot. Uh, starting one and eight, and then going to eight and eight. It's kind of wild, and then find your coach after. But I also like to give a big shout out to the Las Vegas Raiders. Uh, they went through a lot of stuff this year with their coach, with some players off the field issues, and they still made the playoffs. And I I think we can attribute that to Derek Carr, in my opinion, and also the interim head coach. And um. I didn't expect that out of them after everything would have happened, and I think they were probably my biggest surprise of the NFL this year. My biggest surprise, I would go a little bit more in the negative, it was the collapse of the Packers. You had Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams doing their kind of self-advertised, you know, this is like Jordan and Pippen, this is the last dance. You know, we've collapsed in the playoffs before, but this is the time that we're going to finally climb that mountaintop for Rodgers, one of the most talented quarterbacks of only t- of all time, only having one Super Bowl ring. And they get the one seed, they steamroll through the regular season, and here they find themselves again in Lambeau Field, one of the greatest home field advantages in professional sports, and they get beat in their own building by a wildcard team. I mean, it's just incredible year after year how they, they, they can't get it done down the stretch, and, and once again, it happened in what I imagine will be Aaron Rodgers' last game as a Green Bay Packer. I support that take. I, I'm, I'm all in on that. I, I think he's coming back, it seems like. Um, the speculation is trending towards the positive side of things, but who knows? It's Aaron Rodgers. Anything can happen. He's he's definitely put himself in that Brett Favre <laughs> area at the end of his career. So we'll see. He could pull a Manning and you know only have one chip and then go to the Broncos and and try and patch things up. But I I think my biggest surprise and it's probably a very cliche answer, but it has to be the Bengals. You know, at the beginning of the season, Joe Burrow is is coming off a knee injury. Uh, Bengals haven't won a playoff game in like what, three decades, oh. something along those lines. It was 91. 91. So uh, 91, 20, two decades, 91, 2001, 2021. So, uh, and then they go all the way to the Super Bowl. They go through Arrowhead in the AFC Championship, down 18. Um, so it has to be the Bengals. I, I, I can't think of anything else that's as monumental. And they beat the number one seed in the Titans, who we were just kind yeah. of praising. So it's quite quite the ride they had and, you know, We'll see what they do next year. It's it's the beauty of the NFL. Anybody can really turn it around if you know they're 
competent enough, AJ? Yeah, I, de- I definitely had some disappointments, too, with the Cleveland Browns. I know they were oh injured gosh. all year, but they were, the, they were the hot team in the AFC yeah. coming into the year, and and the Bengals just took it right from them almost. And on the NFC side of the ball, um, the Cowboys. I really expected the Cowboys with the beginning of the season that they had, their offensive star power, and they had the defensive, ro- they had the defensive player of the year, uh, rookie of the year as well. Um, who was in conversation for Defensive Player of the Year as well. So I, I see their season as a big disappointment. Uh, I don't really see Mike McCarthy doing anything else there. I think they need to move on from him, but that's that's my opinion as well. But, yeah, I see those two as big disappointments. Yeah, me. and with controversial decisions, we kind of shift to the NBA now with you know the, the end of the NFL season. Now it's going to be full NBA going forward probably with the, the All-Star break coming up. Um, but obviously, with the NBA trade deadline this past weekend, the Brooklyn Nets and the Sixers they had quite the trade that kind of sparked a lot of controversy on Twitter. As always, is never that's never something new. But obviously, um, James Harden he's been the 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 star of the show. Uh, he's been in conversation for a lot of things ever since he got traded to the Nets, and there's been a lot of speculation, a lot of expectations with with uh, you know the trio of. Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving and ultimately they only played I believe 16 games together which is one of the craziest stats after a whole year and you know it was it was a foot that prevented the Nets from being the Bucks, who ended up winning the season last year uh, so the Nets were were so close but so far and now they're blowing it up in a way they're kind of shifting gears now getting Ben Simmons Seth Curry Andre Drummond two first round picks from the from the Sixers so they're reloading. I think they're the obvious winners of this. We're not going to spend too much time on it, but AJ, what are some of your takeaways? Yeah, I definitely I, I like the trade for both teams, actually. Uh, I went to the Miami Heat versus Brooklyn Nets game on Saturday, and the Nets, man, they have no depth at all. I was watching it, and half the guys on the floor, who is this? Looking up where they went to college and all that. So I, I definitely think the the trade works out, and I if I'm Brooklyn Nets fan, if I if James Harden doesn't want to be there. Why? Why? Why do I want him to be there? Why am I going to cheer for him if he's out with an injury, um, just not giving full hundred percent effort? And I think uh, I think it works out with uh, Seth Curry, and then I think Ben Simmons is going to actually want to play again. So that'll be interesting to see what happens because we know we all know the talent he has, especially on the defensive side of the ball, which the Nets do sh- struggle with too. Um, so I think it's a win-win in both situations. Not the first time that a big three has horribly failed for the Brooklyn Nets. Um, as, as Gabe mentioned, Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant, and James Harden only playing 16 games together. They lost to the Milwaukee Bucks in the playoffs last year, who ended up being the eventual champions. But to me, not necessarily this James Harden trade where they ship him off to Philadelphia, but it was the trade to acquire James Harden from the Houston Rockets when he was disgruntled there and wanted out and wanted to play for contender. And as AJ just brought up, the, the Nets traded two really quality depth pieces to Houston, Spencer Dinwiddie and Jared Allen in return. Two guys that played really good defense, came off the bench and really well. Two guys that were a big part of what they did in their success. So you sacrifice that to bring in James Harden, who ultimately really doesn't get you much of anything. And so not only now are you without James Harden, but you're without those two pieces that you gave away to get him. So I think on both Harden deals, the Brooklyn failed horribly. Yeah, I mean... It's it's interesting. James Harden is one of the best players of all time, and, and he just finds himself in these trade conversations a little bit too often, in my opinion. And 
you know, pairing him up with Joel and B, it, it should be on paper a good matchup. But at the same time, when you look at Ben Simmons and Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, it's going to be hard to argue against that. And, you know, even Miami right now is looking at the number one seed. Uh, so I don't know what to make of the East right now. Jackson? Well, just to double back on the Harden trade, I remember when Kevin Durant was thinking about going to the Golden State Warriors, or eventually, obviously he does uh, in 2016, but everybody is saying, well, you have you have Clay, you have Steph, you have Draymond, you have KD, and you have Andre Iguodala. Everybody kept saying, yeah, they're, they're all great players, but there's only one ball. And only one person can take the shot. But what's what works, with gold, the reason that system worked is because they had a great offensive scheme of ball movement. In Brooklyn, KD, James Harden, and Kyrie Irving, mostly James Harden and Kyrie Irving, are mostly ISO players. And when you're not moving the ball and getting the best open shot, that system does not work. And we've seen that. And we saw with Chris Bosh, Chris Bosh, excuse me, LeBron James and, and uh, Dwayne Wade. Eric Spolstra had a great offensive scheme. And if you don't have that, yeah, it doesn't matter how good your players are. It, it doesn't work. And I think I think Steve Nash, obviously he's got a weird situation with Kyrie Irving, uh, you know, playing some of the games and not playing some of the games. But I, I do think a little bit of hate, or not hate, excuse me, but a little bit of um, criticism is, is due to Steve Nash mm-hmm. because uh, he's not getting any of it. And I, I especially as a first-time coach, um, People are just kind of letting it slide, and they're kind of pushing it on the rug. But Steve Nash deserves some of the criticism for that blowing up in their face. And, and I mean, we definitely need to talk about the injuries and, and the Kyrie Irving situation. It's not been the best situation in Brooklyn so far. And, you know, with Ben Simmons, you're hoping that his attitude, his his whole mindset kind of shifts a little bit. And whatever whatever is going on in the Sixers, he needs to completely forget about that and go into the, to the Nets with – you know, championship mentality, a Mamba mentality, if you will. Um, but ultimately, I think the defensive side of the things, that's where the Nets are going to see a big improvement with James Harden. He was never the worst defender uh, ever since he, he got traded. He, he definitely elevated his game on the defensive side of things, but at the same time, he's nowhere the defender that Ben Simmons is physically or, or, or you know, mentally. So I think that's the biggest improvement for the Nets. Uh, you're going to see a shift from a team that was trying to win every game by a blowout to a team that can actually maybe hold down some teams uh, in the paint. So we'll, we'll see how it goes, but we have to talk about <laughs> Seminole Sports as we wrap, the, wrap up the show. Um, as you can tell, there's not been a little bit too much excitement going on when it comes to uh, FSC hoops, unless on, on the men's side of things at least. You know, they're, they're six straight loss. Uh, very unfortunate for them going up, get, uh, going up against the UNC Tar Heels and Chapel Hill, losing 94-74 on Saturday, I believe. It's, it's been quite the season, and it finally seems like we can put a grave mark on them because it, there's there's just no coming back from from this road losing skit that they're on. Uh, this team has suffered so many injuries, and the momentum it's at an all-time low. The program hasn't been this slow in, in quite a while, so it would be quite the comeback for them to you know get back to where they should be. AJ and. I think we, as I previously said on the show throughout the year, that we have a young team, and once if we're getting the highs of the highs and the lows of the lows with this young team, and we are definitely at the lows of low right now. And um, 
I I think I think we're missing Malik Osborne a lot. Uh, FSU's missing Malik Osborne a lot. Where the the team is missing that um, veteran presence right now. Um, but I think I think we got to start looking towards next year and realizing we need we need some offensive players. Uh, we need some some change, some shooters, something to spark just to spark the offense because the offense this year has not been the same. And with that, the defense hasn't been the same either, uh, in my opinion. Yeah, I, w- I would criticize any plan that involves a guy like Caleb Mills being your your volume guy that's going to take the most shots and a guy that you depend on to, to lead your team in points every night. I think that, that was a fundamental flaw. They're two games above 500. It's going to be really difficult for them to finish with a winning record on the season, which would even put them out of contention for the NIT tournament. So... All around a failure. I know there's injuries as well. Losing pretty much your 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 guy, your captain, whatever word you want to use for Malik Osborne, who's you know your top returning production. Um, they've had some big men banged up, all that stuff. I, I think they've really struggled at the guard position to have guys that can really get the job done. So um, in a lot of phases, they they've fallen short. But but as we've said, I think for next year, just go back to the drawing board and. We've heard a lot about guys that are supposed to come in next year. I know in college basketball, that's kind of a yearly thing that that people talk about. But um, if not that, I don't I don't know what else you have to be positive about with that program. Yeah, it's it's a letdown year. And you know, with the with the college basketball turn turnover every year, it's it shouldn't be this surprising. But at the same time, it is it is a disappointing because of you know what. FSU fans have come to expect from F, from from football. So uh, the term basketball school has been thrown around quite a bit this past couple of years, ever since I've been in college here in Tallahassee. So it's a little disappointing, but there is always next year. And, you know, once again, the FSU women's soccer team did win the national championship, so you can always hang your head around that. But other sports that are also kicking off this spring, FSU softball opening up their season 4-0 with a 35-2 combined run. Quite remarkable, but obviously, you know, they were in the in the final against the the Oklahoma Sooners, the number one ranked team at the time. They didn't end up winning at all, but you know, they come in this season ranked number six overall in the preseason poll. So, you know, if you're into baseball or softball, you probably want to check that out. But speaking of baseball, they're kicking off their season ranked top fifteen in preseason polls and are favored to win the ACC. And I mean, Parker Messick's been, you know, thrown around as one of the best pitchers in college uh, baseball right now. So. He's definitely somebody else that I think deserves a lot of praise. Um, William, what are your thoughts on FSU baseball as we kind of wrap up the show? So Parker Messick picked basically to be the, 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 the pitcher of the year in college baseball, as you mentioned, as a number one starter. That's an incredibly great asset to have. They also have Bryce Hubbard, who is on a, the preseason honor list for, for pitchers, and then they also have another one in Carson Montgomery. So that's three really uh, solid quality starting pitchers that they have uh, to take on their weekend series with, and then they have... Um, I know they lost Matthew Nelson and, and Elijah Cabell and some of their, their big-time home run guys in offensive production, but they're returning Tyler Martin, a guy who can hit 300 at the top of your order. Reese Albert returns, Logan Lacey, um, guys of that matter. They bring in Alex Terrell from Miami, presumably to be their guy at, sh- uh, at shortstop, I believe, or, or Jordan Carrion actually is, is going to be the shortstop. So um, the bullpen, a little bit curious to see. They've got an opening series, weekend series against James Madison. Uh, next Friday, so I'll be interested to kind of see how they get settled into the season, but uh, should be set for another good year. Yeah, they're, they're opening up their season February 18th against James Madison, 6 p.m. at Dick Howard Stadium, so go ahead and check them out. Show your support to them. But that's going to do it for tonight's show. This has been Gabe Tisnes, your host, with William Haynes, Jackson Bakage, AJ Corsier, and Scott Clemens in the, in the booth. Uh, 
This has been Tomahawk Talk. You're listening to WVFS Tallahassee, the voice of Florida State. <laughs>